Smokey, this is not Nam, this is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior! America! Steak. Four! Breakfast! So stand by. All right, everybody, welcome back for our second of two all-new Friday editions of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. I'm Ro. Noah's still here. Yo. If you're listening to this show first, stop, hold up, wait a minute, and go back and listen to the first episode of the show today, which featured the official spokeswoman for Donald Trump, Liz Harrington, Kingsley Wilson, formerly known as Kingsley Cortez, and our Steak exclusive with Dr. Ben Carson. We're jumping right back into it here. Two more great guests coming in in this episode. We're going to be talking about the debate over border security and how it's heating up or not on Capitol Hill this week. And we'll be finishing the segment with former acting ICE director Tom Holman. Always great to have him in. Our favorite Thanos. And then we'll be wrapping up the show today with Wisconsin Congressman, definitely America First, huge supporter of President Trump, Representative Tom Tiffany. Always great sitting down with him as well. Okay, so as the House Republicans seem to be in a little bit of disarray over the budget and what it means for border security, this... I don't know what you want to call it, Noah, organic task force that was put together, big gay James Lankford, Mitch McConnell, Chuck Schumer, and Hakeem Jeffries are working on something that apparently everyone can agree on when it comes to border security. Spoiler alert, no one's agreeing on this shit. Yeah, no. We'll start off with the Oklahoma senator as he was on the Senate floor this week before they got out of town for the weekend talking about border security. During the early days of the Obama administration, we had 21,000 people a year that requested asylum. 21,000 people a year that requested asylum on our southern border. It's like a slow day. We had that in two days (laughs) in December. Dang. That's how things have shifted. Oof. That's why this is not a partisan issue. This is a national issue. People understand the national security implications of this, that we literally have thousands of people crossing the border every day and we have no idea where they are okay sounds okay i didn't hate what he said there did you know no seems like he's got his priorities lined up right yeah and then there was a leak oh yeah you ready for this some of the giblets from the gravy train that is the langford schumer border security deal. They're calling it a deal now. Such a deal. Item one, increase green cards by 50,000 a year. Green cards are a pathway to citizenship. Work permits for adult children of H-1B holders. Here's a fun fact. Most H-1B workers leave their visas and just stay in the United States or They get a United States citizen who's a boyfriend or a girlfriend and have a kid with them, making them essentially undeportable. Number three, immediate work permits for every illegal alien released from custody. They no longer have to wait three weeks or in some cases, 180 days. They will leave the border after illegally crossing with their manila folder that says name, name, date of birth, 1-1-1980 on it, a brand new Galaxy 7, a $5,000 gift card, a travel voucher to a destination unknown, and now immediate work authorization. Taxpayer-funded lawyers to certain UACs and mentally incompetent aliens. Now, Noah, I'm no mental health expert, but when you talk about importing people from over 170 countries around the world, 
most of which are from the third world. You'd have to assume that there aren't too many triple-digit IQs amongst the millions coming in. Well, I mean, like, doing it by the numbers? Maybe. Listen, there it, might be a couple. It's not like millions of illegal aliens are crossing the border with Down syndrome or in wheelchairs because they're quadriplegics. Number five, expulsion authority for a limited number of days only if encountered, only if encounters exceed 5,000 a day over a seven-day period. Let me read that to you again. Expulsion authority for a limited number of days only if encounters exceed 5,000 a day over a seven-day period. So every time we hit that number, we can have people wait in Mexico come in the next day when the numbers are a little bit lower. And last, number six, restricts parole for those who enter without authorization between ports of entry. And essentially all that does is say, stop going through the holes in the fence. We will process you. Isn't that already a law? Like your claim is null and void if you do that? Yes, you're supposed to go right into... um, A designated port of entry. No, but I mean for your proceedings, you go right into removal proceedings if you cross illegally and you'll have to show up in court by 2033. Oh. Yeah. Good luck. So what they're essentially saying is stop going through the holes in the wall and just go to the ports of entry. If, if you don't know what a port of entry is, it's on the like Mexican and Canadian border where the cars drive up or the cargo trucks come in or the or people walk, walk in, across. Yeah. Now you're going to have, well, let's just say over the course of the last three years, 15 million people cross. Now you'll have in the course of the last year, three to five million people cross where everyone else who's allowed to cross crosses. Absolute shit show disaster. So this is what we heard. And this is what we got from the leaked details of the Lankford-Schumer border agreement. I saw yesterday in committee, guess who's going to be joining us later in the show, Tom Tiffany was bringing the heat, talking to one of these NGO staffers who probably had some input on this in regards to what I already made fun of. What the hell are we providing free legal services for people who come in and are mentally deficient? Let's check it out. Should, should everyone get an attorney? That's what I heard in your testimony. Anyone that comes to our border, they should get an attorney. Is that right? So legal representation has been shown to greatly improve both the fairness of the system and the efficiency. If you have a lawyer, mm. So the American taxpayers should pay for the lawyers also. Not only should they pay for the hospitals, not only should they pay for the schools, not only should they pay the SNAP benefits, they should also pay for the lawyers to allow them as as people from outside the United States to be able to come into America. Disaster. The American taxpayer was on the hook for over $450 billion this year for Joe Biden's border disaster. That's not including all the free shit that was donated to them to help their ascent into the United States more comfortable. Did you see what happened in New York this week? No. As if things couldn't get any worse there? No, actually, wait, no, I think I did see that. They shut down a public school? Yeah. Completely. And put in migrants. 2,000 migrants. Now everybody's back to fucking home Zoom learning. Yeah. Which which we've already proven throughout the entire pandemic was disastrous for people's social skills and just basic learning how to be a fucking person. You could not believe what the fuck is going on in New York. And man. He did something else. There was something else where... They took away some sort of long-standing benefit financially. I can't remember what it was now. Oh yeah, they've been doing that and re- reallocating the funds yeah. to illegals. Yep. Yeah. 
Yeah, and that 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 was a uh, that was a state benefit. But yeah. Yes, I tell you what, I don't want to see it, but you're already starting to see the people get fired up in places like Chicago and and, and New York. Just knowing how the human brain works, at some point, especially when you start fucking with people's kids, they're going to have enough. And, you know, I I did see a couple citizen journalists. There was actually a guy who hopped the fence at one of these, like, tent cities, the nice ones, like the wedding tents they have set up for people in in places like New York. This one was, like, four acres big, 2,000 migrants. The whole thing is completely heated. There's televisions, video games, snacks everywhere, uh, all the supplies that these people need. Meanwhile, you have people in New York, if they don't get their ass kicked walking to a bodega or thrown on the tracks waiting the for the subway, you know, they're paying out the ass for everything in New York where inflation is just as bad as it is out here in California. It's it's a fucking disgrace what these guys are doing. I mean, Alejandro Mayorkas belongs in, like, the deepest, darkest dungeon in the history of our country. Like, better than black ops in, in, in a safe nation that the CIA uses. This guy is just has been an unmitigated disaster. And, and for Can the, you imagine that being your legacy for the history books? Um, Noah, uh, the data in, in the history books will reflect uh, an unprecedented challenge. Fuck you and your challenges. It's um, Poppy, <laughs> Congress's fault. <laughs> it was a broken system, and we're doing... The best we can. So yesterday, came across the wire. There's actually a piece of good news. The state of Texas has removed the federal government from Eagle Pass. I just saw a video of this on Instagram. <laughs> wow. And has now reclaimed control of a popular border crossing. The federal border patrol and its components of the Department of Homeland Security and all of their officers have been removed and told they will no longer be allowed to aid in illegal crossings into Texas. That's fucking wild. I love it. The state of Texas plans to arrest, process, detain, and deport anyone that is charged with trespassing. And is Texas going to do this elsewhere as well? I mean, they do have a couple of points where they could do this, right? This was the first one only. I got a little bit more. The state of Texas seized all city property along the riverfront of the border in Eagle Pass. The area under governor's emergency powers, including federal processing locations, and its equipment. Oh, that's great. This is according to multiple sources. Access to the property is limited to state authority only. Border Patrol and all of its DHS counterparts will be permitted to enter the property to remove their equipment, belongings, and supplies. Agents and officers will no longer have access to the area unless there is a medical emergency and deemed that Texas state officials need their help. This reporter was also told that the state plans to start arresting all who cross the border for criminal trespassing. This is not under the new illegal entry law. This is a longstanding one. And and they've been doing this to people for months, but not having the, I guess, authority to remove them, which Governor Greg Abbott plans on doing now. Texas is holding the line at our southern border with miles of additional razor wire and anti-climb barriers to deter and repel record high levels of illegal immigration invited by... President Biden's reckless open border policies. Instead of enforcing immigration laws, the Biden administration allows unfettered access for Mexican cartels to smuggle people into our country. Texas will continue to deploy Texas National Guard soldiers, DPS troopers, more barriers, and we will utilize every tool and strategy to respond to President Biden's ongoing border crisis. That's a statement from Texas Governor Greg Abbott released yesterday. So you're saying the immigrant traffic jams are going to get a little bit 
worse in certain areas now. <laughs> yeah. Detour. I like it. Listen, that's the only good news that we've been able to report on the yeah, border in months. That's literally the most amazing thing. Well, it would have already been happening in Arizona if Carrie Lake hadn't gotten fucking screwed over. True story. True story. But now we're getting to see what it looks like in real time. And for everyone that says Greg Abbott's a reactionist or uh, a President Trump pleaser who only starts to do stuff when President Trump starts bitching about him, I think this is a really good proactive move for him that's going to show. I mean, obviously, the federal government is going to sue the shit out of Texas. Oh, yeah. But, hey, what's the old Constitution say about states' rights? Mm -hmm. I mean, at some point, the states' rights circumvent or supersede federal property. It's going to be something up for debate. It'd be interesting to see if that goes to the Supreme Court as well. Well, just the precedent it sets. I mean, this should be happening everywhere. You ain't lying. You know who was fired up about the leaked border security deal Athon? Of course it was Rand Paul. He's no friend of China Mitch and his wife, Elaine Coco Chow. Maybe you've heard of her. She loves the CCP. Mm. He also doesn't think that James Langford is doing a good job in regards to this either. And Senator Paul went on the Botox Queen show last night, Laura Ingram, to complain about it. Let's hear the senator. Hey, Senator, this border deal that the Republicans are cooking up that Chuck Schumer and apparently Mitch McConnell and others are going to agree to, to that, you say? It's a sellout. It's going to continue to allow illegal immigration, particularly migrants. It's saying, oh, we'll let 5,000 people come illegally a day, and then after that we might try to stop the next 5,000 that day. It's completely a sellout, but it's because people like Senator McConnell care more about Ukraine than anything else, more Oof. than the border, more than anything else. He wants <laughs> to send $60 billion of oh your money God. to Ukraine. Do you think he would prefer Biden or Trump in the White House? I think that... Uh, if you had to bet. On this issue, he is more aligned with Biden. He, on the issue of funding, sending your money to Ukraine and sending it everywhere around the world, McConnell is much more closely aligned with Biden than he is with the Republican Party. Rand Paul, casual. This is casual yeah. Thank Tuesday. You. Thank you. I heard it was Kelly, casual Kelly, I, I approve. Okay. <laughs> I was critical of it during the break. But now I'm like Anthony Fauci. I'm just changing yeah. private to public. There you go. All right, Senator Gray. <laughs> Shut up, Lauren. <laughs> Shut up. Idiot. You know, Rand Paul put out a video yesterday saying that he had a big major announcement regarding the 2024 presidential primary and then put out another video this morning that said although he sees a lot of good stuff coming out of president trump he's also noticed some good things from Ron DeSantis and vivek ramaswamy however and i guess it's time to take down the fire fauci i don't know if you noticed that it still says fire fauci on ron paul's website it no longer does I'd, okay, I had to refresh my browser. Now it says, <laughs> hashtag never Nikki. <laughs> oh. So he did not come out and make an endorsement today. However, he is collaborating an email list, probably for campaign-related reasons, using the hashtag nevernicky.com. So at least he doesn't like the globalist warmongers, and we knew Rand Paul wouldn't because he hates sending foreign aid to places. Those are his libertarian-ish. DNA that's woven into his, the fibers of his being. Guys, wherever you're listening to the show today, hope you liked our first edition of the show and that you're enjoying the second all-new edition of Steak for Breakfast today. Make sure you're subscribed to us across every downloadable podcasting platform, Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, preferably Apple and Spotify. 
follow us, hit the plus button, make sure it's downloading to your electronic device. And then find us across every social media, Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram. Find the accounts, follow them, hit the notification bell. Now, Noah, there's been a lot of chaos up on Capitol Hill this week. We've got this border debate. Biden's trying to push a plan. House Republicans are trying to figure out what their next move is. According to Ralph Norman and some of our other friends that join us here on Steak for Breakfast, Mike Johnson is no longer going to be accepting the bill that he agreed to in regards to the budget last week from Joe Biden and Chuck Schumer and friends. It seems like we could even throw Hunter Biden showing up on Capitol Hill as an addition to all the chaos that's going on. Historically, when you talk about Joe Biden and who he served under as the vice president, whenever there was chaos, there was only one way to remedy that, and that was by a distraction. Did you by any chance see the flyovers we were having last night? (laughs) Why are we bombing the Hooties? Hootie and the Blowfish? No, Hootie and the uh, missiles that they keep shooting at the U.S. vessels. A nuclear vessel? Mm. In the Red Sea and the Persian Gulf. This has been a shit show. Since the attack on Israel on October 7th and the Israeli response into Gaza, there have been approximately around 140 attacks on, on U.S., forces and adjacent friends everywhere from the Middle East and Africa and everywhere in between. Now, we all know that the country of Iran funds Hamas, funds Hezbollah, funds the Houthis, arms them all, tells them what to do. And Joe Biden, in his first year in office, removed the Houthi rebels from the terrorist watch list for reasons we have no idea, except for the fact that we all know he kisses Iran's ass every chance he gets. If he's not giving them pallets of cash, he's taking away sanctions and removing entities that operate on behalf of the country, like the Houthis, off of the terror watch list. So apparently, to take away from all this shit that's going on and bringing out every neocon warmonger onto places like Fox News talking about how this is like the opening phases of a wider war with Iran. We started bombing the shit out of them yesterday in Yemen. There was no asking of war authorization from Congress, although the president is allowed to act situationally to these things. But if this is going to become a reoccurring theme here, at some point the War Powers Act has to be invoked. I feel like Biden, wasn't he talking shit about some other president doing that? Oh, yeah. I feel like that was a thing that you posted. Oh, no, it definitely was a thing. I shared it this morning. Yeah. In one of my uh, classic Trump was right posts. Oh, I got the Dana Loesch block yesterday. Oh, you did? Yeah. She asked why. uh, She was talking. Well, I mean, she works for Ron DeSantis now. She's she's paid by the campaign to advocate for him online. And she was saying like, yeah, it's just like, I don't understand why people just. She was talking about Nikki Haley. Go out there and like do as they're paid, and I said, essentially, because they're just like you, and I took a picture of one of her Super Beat commercials and quote tweeted it with that, and then I woke up this morning and it was blocked. <laughs> so it was pretty easy. So, I mean, uh, when, when you're right, you're right. Yeah, I'm People pretty, really don't like it when you're right. I'm pretty sure her husband's going to be, he's notorious for jumping in people's comment section and be like, hey, why are you being a dick to my wife? I told you, I told you about how I was hitting up companies on Instagram and then I was asking like, Hey, is this, is this stuff made in the USA? And they were deleting my comments. Mm. 
It's like, oh, it's a touchy subject, I guess. Yeah. But, yeah, we started bombing strategic targets, apparently, in Yemen. And now are uh, doing that. I saw a good meme from Mostly Peaceful Memes. It was an office-related one. You had Dwight walking into the office and saying, this is not funny. You just bombed all of my bases. And then the next panel was Jim saying, okay, well, you're the one who fucked with all my boats. Mm. <laughs> and then, you know, when, when you talk about how Joe Biden campaigned in that tweet you referred to, Noah, this is back from January 6, 2020. Joe Biden, let's be clear. Donald Trump does not have the authority to take us into war with Iran without congressional approval. A president should never take his nation to war without the informed consent of the American people. So I quote tweeted it with an article from the New York Times that says, U.S. missiles strike targets in Yemen linked to Houthi militia. And I said, <laughs> um, who's going to tell him, bros? Got him. Got him. I saw Tulsi Gabbard jump on Fox News last night. She had a little bit of commentary on this and, and just the state of the nation as we are trying to take our eyes off of the major problems here and focus them on some bullshit over there. Last clip before we jump in with Big Tom Holman. Tulsi on the Botox Queen. Let's check it out. I'll see. One of the Houthi leaders anticipated the attacks. Houthi? And as I said, warned earlier today that any American attack will not remain without a response. Um, they said that they are not afraid of confronting Boring. Americans. And this follows the Iranian seizure of that crude oil ship um, earlier today where, you know, that seemed to change the tone of things and the trajectory of things from this administration standpoint. But we, we don't have a commander-in-chief, at least that we can see. They've called a lit at the White House, which concerns a number of our guests tonight. Tulsi. Yeah, Laura, you know, my, my greatest concern, both as a soldier who serves in the Army Reserve, a veteran uh, for over 20 years and multiple deployments to different war zones, is how short-sighted, incompetent, and lack of caring that this the Biden-Harris administration has for our own national security and the American people. Uh, you know, what, what they are doing here now appears to be not well thought out at all or considering what the ramifications of this will be and how it serves our national security interests, just like they didn't think through what the ramifications would be of taking the Houthis off of the terrorist list a few years ago, just like they didn't consider the ramifications of giving Iran over $6 billion, and then much of which billion. is going not to the well-being and humanitarian interests of the Iranian people, as they, they were promised, but to fund these terrorist groups like the Houthis to do exactly what they are doing, threatening global commerce and peace. We have a Secretary of Defense who was hospitalized for five days, and the White House uh, leaders in the Pentagon, the National Security Council, the President himself had no idea. We'll leave it at that. You know, we covered that on our Tuesday edition of the show. We don't need to hear her complain about Lloyd Austin. A press release from the Pentagon today, though, did confirm that Lloyd Austin was directing these bombing runs from a hospital bed at Walter Reed. So He, he thought he was hitting the morphine button, probably. Mm. You know what? I'm actually surprised we had bombs to drop, to be honest with you. And what do you think our good friend Vladimir is doing watching U.S. bombs fall on Houthi targets on, on the television in Ukraine? These bombs should have come to Ukraine. They can only stop Russia. Not, not, not bombing Ukraine, but for Ukraine to bomb. You know, Mr. Peace through strength himself, man who 
for the first time in 72 years, didn't start any new wars. President Donald Trump was going to quickly take to his true social and issue this statement. I'm going to read it real quick before we dive in with Tom Holman. So let me get this straight. <laughs> We're dropping bombs all over the Middle East, all caps, again, in parentheses, where I defeated ISIS. And our Secretary of Defense, who just went missing for five days, is running the war room from his laptop in a hospital bed. Remember, this is the same gang that, quoted, surrendered in Afghanistan where no one was held accountable or, all caps, fired. It was the most embarrassing moment in the history of the United States. Now we have wars in Ukraine, Israel, and Yemen, but no war on our U.S. southern border. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Crooked Joe Biden is the worst president in the history of the United States. <laughs> Dang. Do you think any of his staffers, like, read that? And, and do you think some of the other staffers are like, he didn't fucking write that? Like, yeah, he did. I mean, you you got to sit there and be like, ah, that's kind of awkward. Hmm. But, yeah. He wrote it. And he usually hits a home run with it. So that's kind of where we're at in regards to continuing lack of border security. Mm. As far as I'm concerned, and after talking to a bunch of members from the Republican House, that James Langford disaster is DOA in the U.S. House of Representatives. Andy Biggs reiterated on the House floor yesterday, seal the border or shut down the government. Mm -hmm. We're obviously going to continue to track it. Probably not so much as the bombs being dropped in Yemen, but we'll have Colonel McGregor on next week. Getting ready to jump in with Tom Holman, but before we do, let's check in with one of our partners. It's an unpleasant truth that 42% of Americans are obese and 79% of Americans are overweight. That's practically one in every two Americans living day to day with every minute counting down to the end of an unhealthy existence. It's time to change that and make Americans healthy again. You've probably heard about weight loss injections that can help you get back into that right mindset and help curb those cravings so you can focus on what's really important. New Hope Wellness has changed thousands of lives and maybe it can change yours too. They are American family owned and operated with the goal of saving lives. With convenient telehealth options, you can speak to a licensed professional from the comfort of your own home, and all products are delivered discreetly to your front door. Visit newhopewellness.com forward slash state and start your journey to a better you. That's newhopewellness.com forward slash state to get your free consultation and 100 bucks off your first order. 1-800-527-2150. Make America healthy again. All right, joining us next on the show today, this Big Friday edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. He's the president and CEO of Borders 911. He's also a retired federal agent and the former acting ICE director who last served during the Trump administration. Mr. Tom Holman, welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Well, before we get into some of the issues, and there are a lot of them, especially concerning the U.S. southern border and some of the stuff that's going on up on Capitol Hill, I do want to continue to push the narrative and ask you about any latest updates on Border 911. You guys are all over the place. It seems like every time we try to get you to come on the show, you're in the midst of a huge travel schedule. You're either talking someplace or down live on the border advocating for what we need to do starting in 2025 when Donald Trump wins the White House again. But if you could give our listenership a little bit of an update, I'd really appreciate it. Well, I hope the listeners, uh, please go to www.border911.com. You can see what we're doing. Uh, as you know, I got the best border security team in the world, in my opinion. I've been this for 34 years. And if you look at our team, go to our website, look at the team I brought together. All, all border experts. Many of us actually took, uh, served during numerous administrations, but most notably during Trump administration, we're a part of the uh, group that you know, gave us the most secure border in my lifetime. Not my opinion, based on real data. So uh, we're going across the country talking to people, American people, trying to educate them that 
the border security is important. Border security is national security, and uh, and, and it's important. And we're hoping that with the educate that border security is important because if you don't have border security, you got 112,000 Americans dying from fentanyl. You got uh, over 1,700 migrants dying in the U.S. soil. You got uh, no inspected terrorists by the hundreds coming across the border. You got fentanyl. You got uh, gangs and criminals. You got terrorism. You got you know hundreds of uh, people of terrorist watchers coming across the border. So we want people to understand how important border security. So in November they go to the voting booth. They're going to like they're going to vote for the person that's going to secure this border. I think we all know who that is. So this is an educational thing we're doing across the country. Like I said, it's a nonprofit. No one's putting money in their pocket. Any money donated goes to expenses of traveling and hotels and so forth. So we can talk to American people. But uh, lately, in the last couple of weeks, I've been, you know, we've been working very hard up on the hill, uh, trying to give them, you know, advice on what, you know, this whole immigration negotiation should be like. What's 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 pending right now with with uh, with Langford? I don't think it's good, and we're, we're offering advice on what what that bill should look like. Uh, so. Again, go to border911.com. I think you'll see what we're doing. I think you'll love what we're doing, and hopefully uh, you'll help us out. No, we love it, and we'll be live linking in the show description today, Tom. Listen, I do want to, I do want to get into some of this stuff because you know we, we see what's going on in the U.S. southern border. Obviously, one of your least favorite Biden regime officials, Alejandro Mayorkas, he did about a week of going around the cable news circuit advocating for the job he's not doing down there, and then he went down to the U.S. southern border and kind of doubled down on it that this is a congressional problem and there's just nothing he can do. You know, he lies up and down and then goes to talk to some of the. Uh, DHS officials and says, you you want to know what? Actually, the border is not secure. We're letting over 85% of the people we encounter into the United States. There, there's so much stuff. The, 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 I think the American public is so much more educated based off of how bad the Biden regime's border policies have been now. But for how bad this is, I, I don't really think you could kind of put it into words. But here's the thing. You see the Republican House really struggling once they passed H.R. 2 to kind of get any traction in regards to getting it through the Senate, having Joe Biden sign it. We all know Alejandro Mayorkas won't do it. And now they put these three people, Mitch McConnell, Chuck Schumer, James Langford, none of them come from a border state. They're all extremely you know, tied to the military industrial complex, the globalist industrial complex. And now they're working on a border bill that seems like it's just a preamble to amnesty, which is what Joe Biden eventually wants. Alejandro Mayorkas has already said it. AOC went on TV last week and said, you know, there's only one way we can make undocumented people documented. Let's get these people some documents. And it's like, we all know what's coming. It's going to be a huge battle heading into this election year. But when you see that stuff and potentially like tens of millions of people getting amnesty after they let tens of millions of people into the country over the last three years, what are we doing here? Well, that's why I wake up every day pissed off that it seems like the Republicans can never win a debate. They can never win uh, uh, on, on negotiations like this. So you got Langford, he's negotiating with Alejandro Mayorkas. That's like negotiating with an arsonist how to put out a fire. <laughs> I mean, meanwhile, you got guys out there, such as myself, who spent decades on the border. Who worked, I worked for six different presidents. I, I worked for six different administrations. I can tell you what policies worked, what policies didn't. But he's not reaching out to myself. He's not reaching out to Brandon Jed. He's not reaching out to Mark Morgan. He's not reaching out to Ryan Scott. These are the people who've been through numerous administrations. And again, part of the team that created the most secure border in a lifetime. But he, he don't want to talk to us, but he's going to talk to Alejandro Mallorca. So look, uh, in my opinion, if they don't get HR2, shut it down. Shut it down. And I mean that because we're at the point now, I mean, how much more can this country take? If you think about it, how much more can we take? We got 112,000 dead Americans. 
of fentanyl is coming across the border. We have over 300 uh, people up terrorist watches just over the last few years coming through the southwest border. Under President Trump, in four years, we had 11 in four years. So now they're over 300. I mean, at, at what point is enough enough? I mean, the, the criminal cartels in Mexico control our southern border. We're the strongest nation on earth, and we don't, we don't have operational control on the southern border, which means if you don't have border security, you certainly don't have national security. So at what point, with a number of uh, no inspected terrorists coming across, what point with dead, uh, 112,000 Americans, 600% increase in sex trafficking of women and children, at what point is enough enough Will we say, all right, look, this is this is so terrible. Yeah, it's worth shutting the government down over until we get the White House to agree to secure the border. That's, first of all, we're asking them simply to do their job. We're not asking them to do something, you know, out of this world. We're asking them to do the job and, and uphold the oath you took, Mr. President and Mr. Secretary. So I think we're at that point. If they don't take HR2, I'm all for shutting it down. People say, that's pretty serious time to shut the government down. Yeah, it is. But what's happening on the southern border is serious. I'm telling you, we got just shy of 2 million known galleries. Border Patrol's arrested people in 171 countries. I say this a lot. I'm trying to drill in people's heads. Border Patrol's arrested people from 178 different countries now. Some of these countries are sponsored by terror. They've arrested over 300 and across the southern border. Border Patrol. How many of the 2 million came from a country sponsored terror and weren't arrested, weren't processed, weren't vetted, weren't screened? We don't know who they are, where they came from, where they went. Yeah. If that don't scare the hell out of everybody, it scares the hell out of me. And I've done this for over three decades. That is enough, in my opinion, to shut it down if we don't get HR2. And why do they keep pushing HR2? Because it's a proven recipe. Why do I say that? Because most of us, HR2 is what we've done on Trump. We proved it worked. Illegal immigration at a 45 year low. Illegal immigration now 83, 90%. We proved HR2 works. So why would the Republicans be negotiating against themselves? It's about time they grew a backbone. And, and take this all the way. HR2 or shut it down. That's my opinion. Oh, I think we're in the same demographic here on Steak for Breakfast. A lot of the congressmen and women who come through the show feel the same way as well, Tom. Last thing I want to touch with you on, we'll end on a good note because it is Friday. We're heading into a busy weekend, but we get to start hanging our first official wins of the 2024 primary season. Couldn't come soon enough when we start the Iowa caucus on Monday. I know you talk to the president all the time. You, you travel with him as well. President Trump is a huge supporter of Border 911 and the job that you did during the last Trump administration. We're hoping it's even in a bigger context in the next Trump administration. But, you know, have you seen President Trump navigate all this lawfare, all these attacks that have come against him, these candidates that the mainstream media and, and the billionaire donor class have propped up to say they're they're equal or better or, or greater alternatives to President Trump? We all know it's complete BS. But once we start hanging those wins on Monday, what could you say about the race President Trump has won so far? And, and how fast do you, do you think he's going to be able to wrap up this nomination? It seems like he's really resonated with the American people, probably more so than he has in the last two election cycles, in my opinion. Opinion. Well, my opinion, President Trump's going to be the next president, and he goes back, I'll go back. Uh, I made him that commitment. And bottom line is, is he's a known commodity, right? This country's a mess. I, and I'm just, I'm talking beyond the border, beyond immigration. I'm talking about inflation. I'm talking about our, uh, our, our military. We used to have the most lethal uh, military in the world, and, and now they're you know, trying to make them all woke. And, you know, they're destroying the military. And look, President Trump proved what he can do. He did it. So it's a known commodity. I think American people are realizing this country is falling apart. This is not the, the, the America I grew up in. And, and I'm upset. Every day I get up, and I just can't believe where we're at as a nation. And and if he doesn't get in the White House uh, in the next election, and this administration gets four more years, I don't think we can fix it. Yeah. 
And uh, I'm, I'm speaking as myself. I'm not speaking for Border 911. We're not proud. I speak to Tom Holman, who spent 34 years doing this job. He's the guy. We can fix the border. 120 days, we'll lock it down. And, and and we can get this country back on its feet again. So I think his chances are excellent. I, I think the American people see through all the, the lawfare stuff. They know who he is. They know what he did. They know he can do it again. So he's going to be the guy. I, we think so, too. Obviously, we endorsed the president the night he and, you know, announced his uh, bid for the White House again. And we've been tracking it probably just as hard as anybody else in the in the America First media here. Tom, we're obviously going to be live linking Border 911 in the show description today. Anybody that wants to follow you on social media, continue to check out the great work that you're doing. Where can they find you? Uh, I'm on I'm at, at Real Tom Holman. I'm on just about all the social media to Border 911, so you can find me there. You can go to border border911.com. You can contact me through there if you want to actually send me a message, son. You can also go to my company, homelandstrategic.com. That's my that's my LLC. But uh, I'm really concentrating on border 911. We got 10 months to convince American people to vote for border security because border security is national security. You can't have strong national security if we can't control who or what's coming in this country. Can't make a better point than that. This is the president and CEO of Border 911, retired federal agent and former acting ICE director, Mr. Tom Holman. Thanks for joining us today. You have a great weekend. Yeah, thank you, sir. And, of course, Ron DeSantis would, would definitely argue with your uh, characterization of how he handled it. But if you go back and look at the records, you will see that the biggest fan of Dr. Fauci was Ron DeSanctimonious. He was a big <laughs> fan. He said, I go by exactly, quote, I go by what Dr. Fauci said. He said that two months in, all the way through, and then eventually changed when it wasn't, you know, that wasn't the dessert of the day. But Ron DeSantis was a big <laughs> Dr. Fauci fan, and nobody wants to cover that. I say it every time. So Donald Trump sat down with early election results caller Brett Baer and never Trump uglier and older Megyn Kelly, Martha McGowan for a Fox News town hall in Iowa. We'll get to the ratings in a little bit, Noah. This aired at the same exact time that CNN hosted Birdbrain, Nikki Haley, and Meatball, Ron DeSantis, in their head-to-head debate. The numbers were absolutely fucking astronomical for Donald <laughs> Trump. Crazy to see how the American people are responding to him ahead of the Iowa caucus. Best way to end the week, end the show, for when next we air, we'll have our first win of the primary season. This was a really good town hall, and I'll tell you why. I think Fox News understands, for as much as they don't like Donald Trump, Rupert Murdoch hates him. Obviously, they bankrolled Ron DeSantis into this whole disaster of a campaign. You know, they came to him and said, you're poor. I'll give you a million dollars to write a book. Actually, we'll write the book for you. Ron DeSantis said, okay, but all I need you to do is run for president against Donald Trump. Well, I probably don't like that. I'll give you $200 million to run against Donald Trump. You'll never have to take a commercial jet. You'll stay in the nicest hotels. Fuck it. You could just leave Florida and live in Iowa for next year if you want. It's pretty nice this time of year. Not so nice now. Ron DeSantis said, okay. Ron DeSantis' book comes out. Nobody wants to fucking read it. So what does Rupert Murdoch do? He goes and buys 50, 60, 70,000 copies that Ron DeSantis gives out for free at all of his campaign events to make it a New York Times bestseller. Pretty funny how the establishment works that way. And then bankrolls him down this path of disaster, which he will never recover from. You know, and when Donald Trump talks about the COVID stuff, listen, everybody did stuff wrong during COVID. But at the end of the day, Donald Trump didn't make the vaccine. 
Donald Trump didn't brew the vaccine. Donald Trump didn't lock the country down. He sent all that shit out to the states. The vaccine wasn't readily available until Donald Trump was out of office. And people just need to move on from it. It seems like the only people that are hung up on the COVID thing are the DeSantis people online. And they just can't get over the fact that everybody was wrong in some context and some did it really bad. At times, Ron DeSantis loved Dr. Fauci. He loved vaccines. He pushed them on everybody from little kids to World War II vets who died two weeks after they got it at a Ron DeSantis-sponsored live television event. What can you say about COVID except that we hope it never happens again and people won't be stupid in the future like Ron DeSantis when it comes to what you do in your state? It's funny that you mentioned literally all those things that you just mentioned Hmm. regarding Trump and like the vaccines and stuff. One of my uh, visitors to my DMs reference almost all of those things. Oh, like Trump who pushed the vaccine, like Trump who appointed Fauci, right? like Trump who facilitated lockdowns. It's like, come on, man. It's just not the case. When you look at it, Donald Trump was going to get impeached for a third time if he did anything to Dr. Fauci. I mean, there's receipts. Yeah, they had him over a barrel with that one. I mean, you fire Dr. Fauci, and then all of those deathometers are now up on display on Capitol Hill in front of an impeachment inquiry. And this is the reason why, because uh, the data. Oh, God, don't even talk about the data. But, you know, it's just one of those things where you start to break this stuff down. And I reminded everybody, I've been saying, I said this two years ago when Donald Trump essentially announced every single mainstream media news outlet is sponsored by FISA and Moderna. So not only is Donald Trump or any of the candidates ever really going to get asked about these questions, it keeps coming up because they keep bringing it up. No one cares. Yeah, no. We, we care about locking down the border, ending the foreign wars bringing the economy back to serving the American people instead of raping everybody's 401k and wallets every time they get paid. We did see a good Donald Trump side of the president. Also, there was a woman who was asked, and, and I think, you know, the good job by Fox News was there was no plant in the audience that was like, I voted for you twice, and after this, that, or the other thing, I could never. Mm. I'm voting for Nikki Haley or Ron DeSantis. There was none of that. It feels like this was kind of organic and it seems like some of the people weren't even prepared to ask their questions because they were caught up in the light that is Donald Trump. Here's a perfect example of it. No, I think you're going to like it. He's sitting right there. Oh, thank you. I knew that. I knew that when I looked at you. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. (laughs) Yes. So my question is. You're a business owner. I'm a business owner. I own a small business and time is money. Would you ever allow a shutdown in the future? A shutdown in terms of COVID mm-hmm. or yes. a shutdown in terms of budget? Because, <laughs> you know, they're talking about a budget shutdown right now, but you're talking about a COVID shutdown. Correct. No, I wouldn't. And I never did. I let the governors make their decisions. And some of them, like from South Carolina, you know, Henry McMaster and uh, frankly, uh, North Dakota, a few of them, Tennessee, they didn't shut down at all. Florida did shut down. Ron DeSanctis shut down. Or, as he's known, Ron DeSanctimonious. He, <laughs> he shut his state down very violently, actually, and shut the highways down, the roads down. But we had, uh, I'm a federalist in a sense, because that's the federalist way. No, I didn't actually have a shutdown, despite the fact that some people wanted to, and some people didn't want to. 
But we had some great governors. The governors that did the best job were Republican governors, and they were the ones that didn't shut down. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Love you. Ooh. Mm. He was also asked about, and you know this one, no, we've done a little coverage on this, Donald Trump's love for NATO and how much they pay their fair share. There's a lot of people who are speculating that if they're not going to get on board with and they have not paid their fair share during the Ukraine war. Back like they were when he was in office, if he wins the White House next year, that he's going to pull the country out of it, which are going to trigger a lot of people. But at the end of the day, this is a money-based incentive for a coalition that doesn't need to exist anymore. Yeah. It's like paying a homeowners association when you live three blocks away from the gated community. Oh, I like that analogy there. Let's hear if Brett Baer could frame it a little different. Would you be committed to NATO, for example, in a second Trump term? Depends if they treat us properly. Look, NATO has taken advantage of our country. The European countries took advantage of, uh, I want to use the word starting with an S, but I don't want to do it because I see some young, very good looking children in the audience and I assume they're watching (laughs) on television. But they took advantage of us on trade and then they took advantage of us on our military protection. Of the 28 countries at the time, only eight countries were paid up. We were paying the difference. Yep. And I went to them. I said, if you don't pay, we're not going to protect you. And they said, do you mean that? I said, I mean that. And the next day, billions of dollars poured into NATO. The reason they have money right now to prosecute what they're doing with helping Ukraine is because of the money I got them. So, you know, peace through strength. Mr. President, we appreciate your time. Hmm. It's the truth. And when you look at all these countries now, it's like as soon as Joe Biden came in office, it's just past due, overdraft. Now you're in collections. Dang. When Donald Trump comes back, he's going to be making collections as well. Guys, last call, wherever you're listening to the show today, across any downloadable platform, hopefully Apple or Spotify, you better be downloading the Steak for Breakfast podcast. Make sure it's downloading to your electronic device. Hit the plus button, hit the follow button, make it happen. In addition, social media, Twitter, Getter, Truth Social, and Instagram is where you'll find Steak for Breakfast online. Find the accounts, follow them, and hit the notification bell. Also want to remind everybody we're going to be wrapping up our big week here and our two huge Friday editions of the show with Wisconsin Congressman Tom Tiffany in just a few minutes. Trump was asked if maybe our guest from the first show today, not by name, Ben Carson, well, he was asked if he knew his VP pick. Did you hear this one yet, Noah? No. Kind of uh, set the internet on fire. Check it out. In the running for a vice president. Well, I can't tell you that, really. I mean, I know who it's going to be. Give us a hint. I'll give you, we'll do another show sometime. Well, what about <laughs> any of the people who you've run against? Would you be open to mending fences with oh, any sure, of them? Oh, sure, I will. I will. I've already started like Christy better. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Christy, Christy for vice president? I don't, I don't see it. I don't see it. That would be an upset. Christy for vice president. You know, ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to announce. And here's the thing. <laughs> Prior to the Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley debate and Donald Trump town hall, Chris Christie at an event in New Hampshire said that he was essentially suspending and terminating his campaign for president. However, his one job would remain with every fiber of his being. And trust us, we're talking about a lot of fibers he will stop Donald Trump from becoming president. Really? 
Yeah. He it, said that. That's how he bowed out. He said that? Yeah. That seems counterproductive. Yep. So. But, I mean, are you just trying to, like, shoot the dead carcass of your fucking political career? You know, you're, you know the people who might have been your voters are on that guy's side, right? Yeah. What an idiot. Well, he took to true social. The 45th president did to issue a, I guess you can call it a farewell statement. <laughs> Welcome back to Golden Corral. Rhonda Sanctimonious has dropped to a solid third place in the new Suffolk University poll as Birdbrain, who performed poorly in the last debate against them, nevertheless overtakes Ron in Iowa. Trump, however, surges to a 34-point lead, knowing that his people will vote no matter how cold it gets. They will walk on glass for him in order to make America great again. Chris Christie is kaput, strangely deciding to drop out prior to New Hampshire, where he has put in so much time, effort, and money. I hear he will be soon endorsing Ada Hutchinson, who last week cracked 1% for the first time before falling back down to zero. (laughs) Chris Christie is desperately seeking a new TV job, but sadly, no one wants him. ABC fake news can get him back for half of what they were paying him. May he rest in peace. Ooh, dang. Yeah. So that was kind of a little insight to, you know, they tried to pull the VP thing out of it. I I think that they're there is that Donald Trump said he already knows. I don't necessarily take him as a bullshitter. I'm assuming that he does. Mm -hmm. I'm still sticking with Christy Nome or Ben Carson. No, you think those are the two best choices right now? Yeah, I think those are probably the only only two choices. Loyalty, work together wise, just the optics of how they look together. Yep. And uh, who's out there working for the president right now? Mark Elias, watching this town hall, was definitely coping and seething. You know, he's the big-time Democrat lawyer who goes around the country creating headaches for Republicans, especially Donald Trump, working behind the scenes in the ballot removal cases and a lot of the civil issues that have been a pain in the ass to Donald Trump since he left office. He's also one of those guys that works on Democrat election non-integrity and and was essential in helping joe biden secure 81 million ballots in the 2020 election he put out a statement i'm sure he was watching this one and just absolutely crying about it i'm going to read it right now donald trump will do everything in his power to win the 2024 election nothing will be off limits as desperate as he was after the 2020 election he is more so at this time he will cross any line break any rule and violate any norm to return to power. Some polls that came out this week, Noah. 2024 election, poly market forecast, Republican nominee, Trump 84, Haley 12, DeSantis 5. Who cares about everybody else? <laughs> I also saw Donald Trump's town hall. You want to talk about ratings? Here's the official numbers, and they are astronomical. So Donald Trump had... million people watch his town hall on Fox News the other day. And the fifth GOP debate, which started off... Okay, so the first GOP debate back in August, 14.2 million people watched it. It was still an all-time low. The fifth one, 2.9 million people. Mm. So 12 million less people watched the fifth debate than the first one. Donald Trump got 5.7 million viewers for his town hall again up against Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley, who combined for only 2.9 million viewers during that time slot. 
Got a couple more polls we're going to check in on now before we are getting ready to jump in with Tom Tiffany. Ron DeSantis has officially moved into third place in Iowa per Real Clear News on Fox Business. President Trump, 56%. Nikki Haley, 17%. Ron DeSantis, 15 The People's Pundit, Rich Barrett, put out a poll similar today. It had Trump, I believe, at 52%. And then Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis in second and third at like 14 and 12. Completely irrelevant. Let's see, we got any other polls? We're getting ready to wrap here this week. Last one, looking forward after Monday, 2024 New Hampshire GOP primary poll. Now remember, Chris Christie has an asterisk next to his name, not because he's as big as a moon orbiting a planet, Mm. but because he's dropped out of the race effectively immediately. This is the change versus November up through the first week of January. Trump 44, Haley 28, Christie 12, DeSantis 7, Ramaswamy 4, Hutchinson 1. So we'll have to see where some of Chris Christie's votes go. Sometimes I think when you go to these cold states like Iowa and New Hampshire, and it's the middle of winter, and people are going to do campaign events, sometimes they say they'll be punching pie. And I think people just want to get out of the house and commingle with some of their, uh, you know, fellow New Hampshireians. New Hampshireans? Or Iowans. But we'll have to see what happens. Last audio clip of the week here. They asked Donald Trump, not about being a dictator for a day. They joked about that in the beginning. I think Fox News kind of got it. But they did kind of circle back to it in the narrative of talking about retribution and what that might look like once Donald Trump wins back the White House. The answer he gave might surprise you. Let's check it out. I'm going to look like when yeah. you're in your rallies, you spend a lot of time talking about retribution. And so there are questions about how much a second term of a Donald Trump presidency, second term, would be about retribution and looking backwards and grievances and how much would be looking forward. Well, first of all, a lot of people would say that that's not so bad. Look what they did. Russia, Russia, Russia hoax, the FBI Twitter hoax, the 51 intelligence agents hoax, all of these different hoaxes that they did. I mean, you know, a lot of people would say that's probably quite normal. I'm not going to have time for retribution. We're going to make this country so successful again. I'm not going to have time for retribution. And, And remember this. Our ultimate retribution is success. Our ult- when we- That's a good one. Yeah. And a good way to end the week. You know, we did uh, we did do a steak for breakfast poll this week, Noah. Yeah, what was it? It was a presidential primary, semicolon, very scientific. I put it out on X. Vote and share for an even more scientific canvas. Top four. Trump, bird brain, meatball, big hair. And that's exactly how I named them. Donald Trump came in at 91%. Bird brain, 1%. My first comment in there, all caps, who the fuck voted for Nikki Haley? <laughs> Meatball Ron DeSantis, 4%. Vivek, big hair, Ramaswamy, also at 4%. Big hair? 27.69 total voters. Not a bad canvas, mm. if I do say so myself. I don't think Donald Trump's running away with the Iowa caucus at 91%, but hey, we'll take it. And we're going to continue to campaign throughout the weekend like we're 1% down. Guys, we're getting ready to wrap the week here and jump in with Congressman Tom Tiffany. But before we do, one last check-in with one of our partners. Friends, I want to take a minute and talk to you about cigars. Whether you're on the golf course, fishing on the lake, or doing some yard work around the house, our friend Alan has got you covered. He's launched the Patriot Cigar Company. The tobacco is hand-picked in the fields of Nicaragua, right next to where Mike Lindell picks his coffee beans. 
The cigars are hand-rolled each three years. If you enter promo code STAKE here, you're going to get 15% off your total order. Every order over $100, free shipping, and a $10 e-gift card is included with every purchase. MyPatriotCigars.com, that's MyPatriotCigars.com, a premium smoke for freedom-loving patriots. All right, joining us next on the show today, this Big Friday edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. He's the congressman representing Wisconsin's 7th Congressional District. Always happy to sit down, Mr. Tom Tiffany. Welcome back to the show. Good Friday to you and all the Steak for Breakfast viewers, listeners. We hope you uh, had a great Christmas season and Happy New Year. Yeah, we did. We did. You know, great to be home with family and, you know, enjoying the season for what it is and um, hope you guys did too. Well, we certainly did. And we're glad to be sitting down with you again, Congressman. Uh, our listenership probably saw it's been a busy couple days up on Capitol Hill since you guys have reconvened. We saw, we saw a lot of stuff going on. One of the things that we wanted to start off by talking with you about was that we saw over the weekend there, there's nearing a deal on the budget. Um, Speaker Johnson and, and Democrat leadership are, are, are coming to terms with how we're going to fund the government moving forward. And uh, it didn't seem like everybody was very happy with the spending cuts or lack thereof that we're looking at on the other side of this. Do you want to kind of give our listenership a little bit of an update on what's going on with the budget? I know you guys, I spoke with Congressman Gates yesterday, and he said that you guys had the opportunity to, you know, go into conference and, and talk out some of the things that were going on. We know a lot of the spending cut deals or lack thereof may have been still attached to Speaker McCarthy before he left Congress. And uh, we just want to kind of get the latest on what's going on with that. Yeah, so... Um, you know, no deals have been done. You know, I think Speaker Johnson, at the, as as we speak at this point, um, I think he's really deciding um, where he's going to go with this. Because on the conservative side, um, people are saying we have to do better. You, you cannot have this spending deal that's supposed to um, uphold the caps that were negotiated back in May, but then have all this money that's in the side deals also. And so um, there's been a real pushback on that. And I hope Speaker Johnson uses that as his leverage with Mitch McConnell, with Chuck Schumer, with all the people that want to spend a whole lot more of the taxpayers' money, which by the way, when we do that, print more money, uh, we just devalue every person's money that's in their wallet. You know, and, and has he's come to the realization that this wasn't going to be as, as easy as he maybe thought? You know, do you think there's some opportunity there for him to show a little bit of strength and leadership in the room when he gets uh, back with Chuck Schumer and Mitch McConnell? Because, you know, when you look at it from the standpoint of how the Democrats said they were overjoyed that we'd be reaching some kind of a deal and the fact that Mitch McConnell's been pretty quiet on just about everything going on up in Congress since Speaker McCarthy's left, it looks like it's kind of setting up another showdown ahead of some of the major issues that we're still going to touch with you on, like the border. But uh, this is one of the things when you look at the end of the CR, the two-step laddered one that's coming to an end in its first phase, something we need to take care of in the very immediate future. Yeah, I got to get it done. So first of all, the Democrats are going to say that because, I mean, they're just trying to pimp us, right? Yeah. <laughs> they want to go to conservatives and say, oh, yeah, we love this deal. And maybe they do. But it's, you know, they want to push our buttons and, and they want to foster that division, right? They want Republicans to be divided in 2024. But Speaker Johnson got off to a very good start. Agreed. When he, when he passed the Israel bill to help fund 
the military needs of Israel after October 7th, and he did it as a pay-for. That was a very good start. He needs to go back to that same fiscal responsibility mindset that he used in that bill. Now, when you look at some of the stuff we're going to be taking a look at as uh, Congress moving forward, uh, one of the ones, obviously, I think that's kind of issue 2A for the American people is what's going on on the U.S. southern border. You know, we've done a lot of comprehensive coverage. I've had people that have gone down there covering it over the course of the last few weeks. We've already had a couple congressmen, uh, Rep. Ogles and, and Rep. Rosendale, joined us the other day as well. And, you know, the, the story that they tell is one that really doesn't match up with Alejandro Mayorkas has been telling the American people for the last three years. But more recently, he did the cable news circuit about two weeks ago and went around trying to, I guess, reimagine the way he thinks he does his job or wants the American people to see it. And, you know, when he went down to the border last week, kind of doubled down on it. And we've heard a lot of rhetoric from behind the scenes saying that he's almost posturing or challenging the Congress to try and do something about it. Because, number one, he's never going to enforce the policies that House Republicans want. And number two, he's under the, you know, uh, he's under the impression that we're never going to be able to have the votes to impeach him as well. We have seen frustration levels rising in the Republican House as far as the job that he hasn't done up to this point. And just want to know how you guys are going to be taking a look at this uh, now that you guys have reconvened and are back in the session. Yeah, that's a really good question. I think you characterized it accurately in regards to, I don't think he thinks uh, we'll have the votes for impeachment if he would come up for impeachment. So let's remember, at least from my perspective, in regards to any impeachment, I view people as um, innocent until proven guilty. That's how I'll treat Joe Biden. That's how I'll treat Alejandro Mayorkas. And uh, but Mayorkas clearly has not done his job. And in fact, is just I mean, we would not have had to pass H.R. 2 through the House, the best secure the border bill, if they just implemented the law as they should be. And that's ultimately the problem here. And it's the bigger picture problem. And what so many Americans are concerned about is you basically have a lawless society. And so the average person sits out there and they go, you know what? If Hunter Biden is not going to have to be responsible and he can just break the law and Alejandro Mayorkas, a secretary of a cabinet agency, they don't have to follow the law. Why should I follow the law? That's point. And that's ultimately the biggest concern here is these people don't follow the law. And uh, quite honestly, in terms of fixing what's in our country, we have to get back to where the rule of law actually means something. And we have an administration that believes in a rule of law rather than the ends justify the means, which is the Democrat philosophy at this point. Now, when you see some of the things that are going to be coming to the floor, obviously uh, many of the congressmen and women who have come on the show said you guys are looking to maybe take an impeachment vote to the floor on Alejandro Mayorkas in, in the mid to late portions of January here. Uh, I, I think the biggest concern is, is is that when you look at the bipartisan group, and I'm air quoting now, that's been put together to kind of work towards something, I think outside of the parameters of HR2, it's being led by James Langford. Obviously, Mitch McConnell is going to be in, in that as well, someone who historically has not really cared too much for 
working on border security and immigration reform. But, you know, how, how are the American people supposed to kind of take a look at this as it's usually the number one or number two news story every single night when they turn on their televisions, probably outside of the presidential primary right now. And then, you know, wondering with the way the administration is kind of gift rafting that, you know, the border is secure and Republicans are making a big deal out of it when it's really not. I mean, they could obviously see in some of the major Democrat run cities across the country, Chicago, New York, Washington, D.C., just to name a few, where the, the citizens who live there are starting to point out how bad the border crisis is, how we could kind of get a resolution on this moving forward, uh, you know, at least in this uh, part of the back end of the 118th session of Congress before you guys, uh, you know, kind of head into the election year and, and are looking to uh, really get things done at the beginning of the start of next session. Most important public policy issue before us is the, uh, border security. And so whatever we can do to accomplish that, what I, if Senator Lankford called me as one of the people who helped author HR2, I uh, wrote a portion of the bill in regards to immigration parole. Yep. I would just say to him, that was a product of compromise. In, in fact, the employer requirements that were in the original bill that got removed, many of us thought that that really, um, uh, really diminished the bill significantly. And if he's to pull anything else out, for example, Senator Durbin from Illinois is saying, let's you got to pull these parole uh, changes in the bill out. You pull that out, that creates a loophole to drive more people in sure. because there's many different ways under immigration law to bring people into the United States. And you don't think Alejandro Mayorkas isn't going to find every way possible to drive people into the United States of America? That's why rather than a bad deal is not what we should accept. And we should not accept something that is a compromise but leaves all these loopholes that will continue the immigration debacle that we have in America. No, it's the truth. You know, Speaker Johnson jumped on the Hugh Hewitt show on Wednesday, and he reiterated that, you know, there's a couple different hills that House Republicans could pick to die on, but he feels that border security is still the number one item and the number one issue that you guys have a winnable solution to. Do you believe him when he says that? Yeah, I do. And, uh, you know, I think so the reason to pass H.R. 2 at this point is I believe Mayorkas and Biden will ignore it. But what it does is put in statute good, firm protections for the American people as we go forward. And if we could get it in administration that wants to follow the law, it will um, really be helpful um, having it in statute versus rule, and it will make it much more difficult for the activist judges to be able to undermine what we have in the law. So, you know, I mean, that's the main reason to get HR2 done at this point, because we know Mayorkas and Biden will ignore the law as they've been doing in so many different ways, shapes, and forms in the past three years. No, that's a great point you make, uh, you know, getting ready to kick off the 2024 primary election season getting started on Monday. Congressman, last yeah. thing I wanted to touch with you on, uh, it's uh, pretty interesting the way kind of we saw a little political theater, if you could even call it that, yesterday up on Hill when Hunter Biden, one of his lawyers, and I believe the man who's behind making the Hunter Biden documentary showed up on Capitol Hill to, I guess, sit in in, in one of the hearings that they were having in regards to holding him in contempt of Congress. Obviously, it seemed to be a lot of stage. You know, there were some of our internet sleuths who pointed out there was like a, a documentary making camera installed in the room by Secret Service before Hunter Biden came in. 
I'm sure at this point you guys have pretty much had it with Joe Biden and, and his whole family's load of crap that they bring along with them every single where they go, especially when it comes to Hunter Biden and how many real investigations, uh, you know, it seems to uh, be kind of having to deal with him right now. As you saw this thing kind of shake down yesterday, what was the first thing that went to, through your mind when you saw, you know, Hunter Biden coming up on Capitol Hill? Well, when I first heard about it, I mean, I immediately think about stagecraft, as you said. Okay, what are they attempting to do to show um, half of the American public that is either completely tuned out or has never been told the story of what the Biden family is doing? And so it's targeted at those people trying to portray him as the victim. And I I actually just I don't think they're doing all that good a job of it. But, um, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, what do you have? you got somebody that believes they're above the rule of law. And why wouldn't you? When you see your father do things like um, going to the Ukraine and saying, I'm going to stop a when he was vice president, I'm going to stop a billion dollar check from going to you folks in Ukraine unless you fire the prosecutor who's going after Burisma, the corrupt oil company. I mean, when you see things like that as the son of a vice U.S. senator, vice president, you know, you get so you think you're above the law. And, you know, so that's how they play the game. And at the end of the day, um, I believe justice is going to prevail one way, shape or form. And just a real quick follow up. Do you think the job that Jamie Comer, Jim Jordan and, and, and the rest of the committees right now who are kind of doing this investigation here, we like the way that this has kind of been unrolled out to the American people that we just didn't rush to some kind of uh, emotion-driven impeachment like we saw in the last session of House and against President Donald Trump. You know, and and moving forward, the presentation, it seems like as far as the Bidens go, they're going to continue what they do to, like you alluded to a little bit, expose themselves for who they are and who historically, you know, what their track record looks like. But I, I think we've done a really good job with this investigation up to this point. And as the inquiry kind of rolls on after, you know, getting a really good unanimous house vote recently that that we're going to get to the bottom of this and if there was any crimes that were committed by joe biden or he was collaborating with his son in any way that that you know exposes the corruption that the house of representatives is going to figure it out right now yeah um for those that eat steak for breakfast they may not be entirely in favor of how we've gone about this that i mean it's past time but yes it's been a steady methodical process and that's how it should be done you're innocent until you're proven guilty i will not be like adam schiff and nancy pelosi that it's ready fire aim and that i'm going to declare you guilty and i'll find the evidence to prove that and uh i i I'm just not going to do that, even when you see things like we have with the Biden family and all the uh, evidence that is there. So I do think that we went about it in the correct way. By the way, um, I agree with whoever that VP or was or whatever from Citigroup or one of the big uh, or was it Goldman Sachs um, from Wall Street who said that he doesn't think Joe Biden's going to be the candidate for them in 2024. I still believe he's not going to be the candidate. And I think part of it is going to be this investigation that has continually shown what has gone on with uh, the Biden family. And by the way, I'm going to take this on the road in a week in my home district, and I'm just going to present the facts to the people, invite them out, And they get to just see the facts. I'm going to share with them what I've seen in the Judiciary Committee. And then you make up your mind. I'm not going to dictate to my constituents or I'm not going to try to convince them. I'm just going to show them the facts. You make the decision. Do you think that we had a vice president 
who was selling access that was going on all these years with you know foreign powers, China, Russia, Kazakhstan, you name it. Oh, it's it's the absolute truth, and I'm sure your constituents are going to be excited to have you back out there in district very soon. Congressman, obviously, we're going to be live linking your congressional website in the show description today so everybody can check out all the great work you're doing up there on Capitol Hill. Anybody that wants to follow you on social media, where can they check you out? Yeah, go to at Rep Tiffany. Check us out. And uh, you may find a good clip uh, today with me questioning an, an immigration attorney who thinks everybody should be let in, the, let in the country. We'll have the clip up here yet today. Looking forward to sharing that. Looking forward to having you on again soon. This is the man who's representing Wisconsin 7. But as you could surely hear, he's working for all the American people. Congressman Tom Tiffany, thanks for joining us today. Have a great weekend. Just joining with you guys. Busy end of the week. But they ask, and we delivered. What do you think, Noah? Delivered. If you enjoyed this episode of the podcast and want to hear the now over 315 other editions of the show, it's simple. Follow us across every downloadable podcasting platform, including Apple and Spotify. You can also find us on Google Podcasts and iHeartRadio as well. Check us out on social media, Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram. Find our accounts, follow them, and hit the notification bell. We want to thank all of our guests for coming down and sharing today. The official spokeswoman for President Trump, Liz Harrington absolute phenomenal media director and national committee woman for the dc young republicans kingsley wilson wisconsin congressman tom tiffany former acting ice director tom holman and former hud director dr ben carson you guys all definitely helped make both editions of steak for breakfast great again guys we're heading into the weekend but don't worry there's a lot to look forward to by the time you hear our voices again we'll have won the iowa caucuses We've got an absolutely fantastic slate of guests coming in here on our Tuesday editions of the show. The official spokeswoman for MAGA Inc., I'm guessing, will be taking a victory lap, Caroline Levitt. Mm. A trio of America First congressmen, Arizona's Andy Biggs, Tennessee's Tim Burchett's, and one of our absolute favorites, leader of the meme delegation, Georgia's Mike Collins, and Texas Republican House candidate, Myra Flores, will be making her Steak for Breakfast debut we'll see you guys then thanks for listening have a fantastic weekend take care oh my god i am never gonna financially recover from this